Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The way that my family looked at money, no one talked about it at all, unless it was to try to show the world that everything was okay, no matter what, especially if things were definitely not okay. We didn't talk about that. It was all pushed under the rug. If you were in debt, if you couldn't pay your bills, you better figure out a way to at least make it look like you are doing just fine. And that really messed up my perception of how you're supposed to handle money, how you're supposed to talk about money, because I had really internalized through that, that if, again, anything is happening in the back end, if you are struggling to make ends meet, Figure it out. Don't talk about it. At least save face. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Hola, mi gente. Welcome back to Yo Quiero Dinero. This is your host, Janice, and you're listening to episode 123, The Shame-Free Guide to Budgeting with Lexa Van Dam creator of the Avocado Toast Budget. Lexa is passionate about making personal finance education accessible. 
The mission of her platform, the Avocado Toast Budget, is to help millennials pay off debt, save, invest, and finally feel more confident with their money by providing accessible and relatable personal finance content on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, I know a lot of us hate the word budgeting, and it's because it's so often associated with deprivation, struggle, sacrifice, and nothing sexy at all. And when I really started to understand the power of budgeting, because let me tell y'all, I didn't have a budget for many years, and as a result, I was a hot fucking mess. But once I stopped seeing my budget as like this restrictive diet culture type of vibe, and I started to really understand the power that I can have if I really just start putting my money to work towards my goals, that's when everything shifted. Unfortunately, a lot of the personal finance space is really into shaming and guilting people for not knowing how to get their money stuff in order. We are not about that on this podcast, and that's why I'm such a big fan of Lexa and her shame-free, guilt-free, judgment-free zone that she has created on the interwebs. So if slaying a budget is a goal of yours in 2022, you do not want to miss this episode. Stay tuned. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Lexa, welcome to the podcast. It is such an honor to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I am such a big fan of what you do. I think I discovered you on TikTok, and I saw that you were unapologetically taking the shame and the guilt that so many of us associate with money conversations. You're throwing that shit out the window and you're like, look, there's a different way to talk about money and I'm going to show you. So I love that. (laughs) Oh, yes, absolutely. That was my number one goal when I started my TikTok, started the ATV was that I had felt so much shame around money that it stopped me from ever starting. And I wanted to start breaking that down. And I wanted a space where people didn't have to worry about getting those same messages when they were on my page. Mm. Yeah, it's such an important part of how we change the conversation around money, I think, because so many people have been raised to feel bad about money, right? They see like so much negativity, they see struggle, they see it sort of being a secret. And so when you take that in and then you're an adult and you feel like, okay, it's not just me. When you start seeing that everybody has this mindset around money. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that you said it's not just me because that was my biggest thing. I was struggling with money for so long and didn't say anything because I was convinced that my struggles were only my own and that if anyone else found out about it, I would just get side-eyed and no one would understand. And oh my gosh, that is so opposite of the actual truth of what's going on. 
Absolutely. Okay, so let's take a step back. Let's find out about your childhood, what you learned about money, maybe what you didn't, and how you think that sort of formed your initial mindset around it. Oh, yeah. So I think that the way that money was handled in my family was a huge part of how I came to handle money as an adult. The way that my family looked at money, no one talked about it at all, unless it was to try to show the world that everything was okay, no matter what, especially if things were definitely not okay. We didn't talk about that. It was all pushed under the rug. If you were in debt, if you couldn't pay your bills, you better figure out a way to at least make it look like you are doing just fine. And that really messed up my perception of how you're supposed to handle money, how you're supposed to talk about money, because I had really internalized through that, that if, again, anything is happening in the back end, if you are struggling to make ends meet, figure it out, don't talk about it, at least save face. Oof, that is some heavy stuff. And I know based on a lot of conversations I've had with folks on this podcast, that that is a very pervasive narrative for communities of color. So it's interesting mm-hmm. that you, as someone who doesn't identify as Latina or a woman of color, is saying the same thing, which tells me that nobody's actually learning what we need to learn about money. It doesn't matter where you come from. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think that that is one of those things that is kind of just, like you said, pervasive throughout, that we've all internalized this idea of not talking about money, and somehow that's going to make things better. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and I think that leads to like a lot of toxic behavior because folks can see externally what people are presenting and thinking that they have their shit together. Meanwhile, they could be in massive amounts of credit card debt. They could be up to their eyeballs in loans. But because we don't talk about it, everybody's just like, well, they're doing better than me. So I just need to follow whatever that person is doing. And I think that's when I start getting into trouble. Oh, absolutely. And I I definitely took that mindset into college because, again, I didn't know on the back end that my family was struggling, but I had seen us spending money like we were totally okay. I had grown up very privileged in the sense that I had a beautiful house. I didn't see on the outside if we were ever struggling to make ends meet or put food on the table. And it wasn't until much later that I found out that we were because we were spending money on all of these things to make it look like we were okay and not so much the things on the back end. And when I went into college and I thought, okay, this is life. I know about how much my money or my parents make. So I can like live a similar lifestyle and found myself just rolling into credit card debt full steam forward because I didn't understand what I was doing wrong, that I couldn't keep up this lifestyle, not knowing that it wasn't a personal failure. Mm -hmm. It was just the reality of how money works. (laughs) But I took it as that and just kept internalizing that I needed to figure it out because it must be on me. Mm. So let's talk about what that breaking point was or that moment of realization that um, you figured out, you know, I got to start doing something different. What was that moment for you? I actually had a very specific moment. It was January of 2020. And I was standing out at my car at work. I had no money in my bank account. I think I had less than $5. I had maxed out my credit card for a second time. And my car was broken down. And I had no idea how I was going to get home, how I was going to pay for whatever repairs were going to have to be done on my car. And it was a moment that I was like, okay, this is not 
the life that I want to be living. There is something here that is not working. And there were so many signs telling me things weren't working before that moment. But I think the universe just really had to slap me in the face with it for me to really understand. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know what? There's a saying for Latinos that goes like, si no aprendes a las buenas, aprendes a las malas, which means like, if you don't learn the lesson the good way, you're going to learn it the bad way. Right. And it's just like, we just ignore the signs until you can't ignore them anymore. You know, I think that's part of the human condition. We're just not good with change unless it's kind of forced upon us sometimes. Yes. Throughout my entire life, there's a theme of me not learning the lesson the first time and having to to learn it a few more times before it really, really sticks in my brain. So this was no different. Yeah. So before we get into how you started making changes, you mentioned that you max out your credit card more than once. So can you identify like what it was that was triggering you to spend? Oh, for sure. So I actually managed to somehow not overspend on my credit card for the first like year and a half that I had it. I got my first credit card at 19, right before I was going to study abroad, because my mom was telling me like, hey, you need a card that isn't a debit card that hopefully won't get flagged if you need some money over there. But I had no idea how credit cards worked <laughs> at all. I remember I had $500 as my limit. I thought once I spent $500 on that card, it was like, it was done. I didn't understand the concept of a revolving line of credit. So that should be scary enough that I was then left <laughs> to my will with a credit card and somehow managed to pay it off in full every month for like that year and a half until I was getting ready to graduate from college. Life was just getting kind of stressful. It was kind of that moment of, okay, what do I do now? I've known my next step as a college student. I go to class, I work enough to pay my bills, and then hopefully by the time I graduate, something will be lined up. And that wasn't the case. So I was just kind of left to feel like an adult that had no idea how to adult. And that was the moment that I started keeping more money on my credit card and found myself overspending just a little bit, promising myself the next month I would pay it off. And then of course, (laughs) so we all know that usually doesn't happen and I just kept rolling into more debt. So that was a big thing. And then also I was diagnosed with ADHD at 24, but before that was when I ran up all of my credit card debt. So I had a lot of those symptoms of my ADHD that were going untreated and unmanaged and unacknowledged that really affected my finances, my ability to cope with my emotions usually showed up through impulse spending. I would hyperfixate on a new hobby, think I needed to spend $500, $1,000 on it that I didn't have just to literally never touch the, <laughs> those things again. And all of that really manifested into quickly going into a lot of credit card debt. Wow. I am so glad that you mentioned the mental health aspect of money because I feel like it's such a conversation that we need to have, but it is not had nearly enough. And it has such a direct impact on anything and everything you do with your money. Money is an extension of who you are, how you feel. And and I don't think enough of us acknowledge how powerful that connection is. No, I completely agree. I think that it's something that I wish uh, were more con- there were more conversations about it when I was struggling because I had undiagnosed ADHD. So 
I also had depression and anxiety and those days that it didn't even feel like I could get up and brush my teeth and shower. How was I supposed to get up and manage my money and create a budget and try to just take in all of this information? It felt like there was no way. So money just went on the back burner while I just tried to figure out how to survive. Mm. And I think that's a really important conversation because then that just kind of created this cycle of shame around me feeling like, okay, I can't do this right now. I don't have the emotional energy for this, but I should be able to do it. Why am I not? And then it just kept cycling further and further. Wow. So what is it that triggered you to get formally diagnosed? Like, was there a specific thing that was happening that made you realize there's something wrong here? Throughout my life, my mom had mentioned that People around me thought that maybe I had ADHD or there was something else going on there, but I hadn't gotten tested as a child, mainly because I was typically like within the school platform, a gifted student. So because I wasn't struggling again on the outside, again, it's that saving face kind of thing that we see throughout my life. I was just kind of like brushed to the side. Everyone figured that I was doing okay. And then as I went into college and then got out of college and started to become an adult, I would ask my mom more and more about it because I knew that my mom had already been diagnosed with ADHD. Then there was this block because getting an ADHD diagnosis as an adult woman is very difficult. And that's a, that's a whole other conversation. But that roadblock made it hard for me to be able to reach out and access those resources that I needed until I was a little bit older. I had found some more resources. I had figured out a place to live for a while because before that, with college and traveling, I'd been moving around a lot. It just kind of got pushed to the wayside. And when I finally was able to find a resource that was helpful and someone who listened to me and someone who didn't just kind of look at me like I had no idea what I was talking about, it completely changed my life and my relationship with money. Yeah, it really is important, y'all, to start with the mind because that is the foundation of everything that you will accomplish. Mm -hmm. So kudos to you for getting the help that you needed. Yes, thank you. Absolutely. Okay, so you are standing outside of work, your car is broken down, your credit cards are maxed out. What do you do? Yeah, so I I call that day my financial rock bottom. <laughs> that I I knew that I couldn't really get any lower at that point and that if I was ever going to make a change, that was the moment. So I was so scared because, again, I, I knew I had people in my life that I could reach out to that would happily help financially in whatever way that they could. But I had so much shame around admitting that there was anything wrong that I was not about to do that. So I got online. I remember that it was actually the second personal loan that I had taken out into a try to pay off my credit card. And that's, again, how I maxed it out the second time. Because the first time I had found out about personal loans, used a personal loan to pay off my credit card, swearing up and down, I would stop spending on my credit card, wouldn't overspend, that would be the last time. And then of course, because nothing about my relationship with money changed or my spending habits or my saving habits, I went back down into the same cycle. And my credit card company had gotten smart and had raised my credit limit. So I maxed out my credit card for more than it was worth the first time. So that second time I was like, okay, this is the moment. This is where something has to change and took out a personal loan, swearing again <laughs> that I wouldn't max it out. But knowing that that was really my only option for how I was going to pay 
my car at the time. I didn't know a lot about finances. I didn't know other resources out there. I literally had only heard of a personal loan because of an ad on a podcast that I was listening to. So I was just using whatever resources that I had at the time and told myself that I was going to seek out that education that I needed. And it actually didn't happen for a few more months until everything happened with 2020 and I was unemployed, lost my job, and was sitting around the house for a long time. And I remembered that day and I was looking at my credit card that I had racked up again. And I knew that that was the moment that if I was ever going to have the time and resources to learn about money, it was going to be then. And that's when I took to YouTube, podcasts, TikTok, anything that I could find to access personal finance advice that made sense for my life. And that was just a game changer for me. Mm, that's awesome. So I'm curious, what was the first resource that you encountered that you felt like, ooh, like, I think I can do this? One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. So YNAB was actually one of the first apps that I used that kind of clicked for me and made sense. And watching their YouTube videos, I still remember that was, at, I just at least like the aspect of it that the shame was taken out of money. Because one of the first resources that I turn to that most everyone turns to is Dave Ramsey. Yep. And as I was watching his show, I just realized that I didn't relate. I didn't like how he talked about money. And it wasn't helpful to me. If anything, it just continued that shame cycle. And I was desperate to find something else. And somehow the YouTube algorithm just worked for me and put me in the hands of at least some sort of personal finance education that took that shame out of it and made more sense to me because I knew that I didn't want to give up 
eating out every once in a while. I didn't want to give up my vacations or my iced coffee. I had tried that in the past and it didn't work for me. I needed something that was realistic and fit my life. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because, you know, mainstream personal finance media will have you thinking that millennials are broke because we like avocado toast mm-hmm. and Starbucks <laughs> coffee. And that's why we can't afford homes. And that's why we're in so much debt. It's like, okay, guys, like, thanks. You're trash. Goodbye. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's why a lot of people hesitate about budgeting because they associate it with restrictive diet culture, deprivation, mm-hmm feeling like shit, like you're not supposed to enjoy this. So what was your process for starting your budget? Did you feel that initially or was the tools that you found like with YNAB and things like that, were you able to get a more holistic and healthy relationship with budgeting? Yeah, I completely had internalized that lie about budgeting, that it needed to be something that was really restrictive. So at first that was what I tried because that was the media that I was consuming. That was the narrative that I thought to be true was that if you are going to be good with money, this is what it needs to look like. It needs to look like meal prepping, making your own iced coffee, making your own oat milk out of oats, and somehow just like magically taking this time and energy that I definitely didn't have in my life to cut down as much as you possibly could to save every single penny. And that would work for me and my ADHD for like a week or two because I would get really excited and hyper fixated on it. And then life would happen and I would not be as excited about sitting there doing all of these little things to cut back 50 cents, 25 cents a dollar. And I would inevitably just end up spinning out again and saying, okay, well, obviously I'm not good at money. I can't handle that. So I'm just going to do whatever I want and hopefully it'll figure itself out. And I tried that a few times because, again, I like to learn my lessons the hard way until I was able to access those resources. And just I figured to myself I would give it a shot. I would saving $10 a month by just figuring out some ways to save money that work for me is better than saving $100 one month that I cut out all of my iced coffee and then never looking at my budget again. So taking those baby steps and deciding that whatever I could do that fit within my life was just going to have to work was really the first step to breaking that shame around money and around the traditional restrictive budget. And it was game changing for me when I was able to see that I could save money, I could start to break out of that paycheck to paycheck cycle without having to just completely give up everything that I love. And yeah, could I have saved more money or paid off debt faster without doing those things in theory, yes, but not if I only did it for a month and then never looked at my budget again. So I figured going slower and actually making ways that were manageable for me for the long run to handle my money was going to be so much better than diving headfirst and then jumping right back out of that pool. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay. So you were actually able to pay off $20,000 in a year of credit card debt. And when people read that, they might just be like, oh my God, how the hell is this possible? And I'm sure there's a lot of folks who would love to be able to do that. So can you share Mm -hmm. some strategies that you use in order to make that a reality? Yeah, absolutely. So I always like to preface this with the fact that I think it's so important when we're having these conversations to talk about the privileges that people have. 
At the time, I, I don't have any kids. I was living in a dual income household. I was making around $40,000 a year, but my partner was making around 50. And we had kept our expenses pretty low. We lived in a very small apartment. We, our base expenses, our bills were, were low. I didn't have a car payment. And all of these things added up to me just having a bigger gap between what I had to spend and what I was making. And I think that that's really important to acknowledge because when I say something like that, I don't want everyone to look at it and think, oh, okay, well, she's making 40 grand. So why can I not also do this? Because there's so much more to it. But I also think on the other hand that there were steps that I took that made a huge difference. And I think it's all about acknowledging the privilege, but also acknowledging the the change in behaviors as well. And accessing education for, for money that made sense to me was a huge game changer. Creating some form of a budget that worked for me, also huge game changer. Because again, before I had created these unrealistic budgets that I never stuck to. So finding a way to manage my money, which at the time was a zero-based budget, it's no longer that way anymore. It worked for me and that's what I wanted to keep going with. And I gave myself the permission to mess up, to make mistakes, to have some setbacks, but to keep going. Because in the past, I had viewed any mistake as a sign of failure and a sign that I sucked at money, which stopped me from going further and stopped me from actually reaching my goals. So I really think that a lot of it was that just behavior change and the change in mindset that I had around what it meant to be good with money. So if someone is listening to this podcast and they have never budgeted, they have no idea where to start, what would be that beginner's advice that you could share? For me, the biggest eye-opener that I had that led to lasting change was taking the step to actually figure out where I was at with my finances. I looked at my debt. I wrote my debt down. I started writing down all of my bills and due dates and subscriptions. And I went back through the last like couple of months of my spending on my credit cards and Venmo accounts and my bank accounts and just looked at where was my money going because I was terrified to know where my money was going. I knew it wasn't where I wanted it to go, but I thought that if I faced the reality that I wouldn't be able to handle it. And that wasn't the case. Facing my reality made me realize, okay, yeah, in some ways it was as bad or worse than I thought. At one point I had spent like $1,000 on DoorDash in a month. I didn't have $1,000 to be spending on DoorDash. <laughs> but knowing that gave me some place to start and some place to, to go and a goal to achieve to maybe, maybe shoot for $900 next month and just slowly start start undoing those trends that I had been engaging in with my spending. That was huge for me. Yeah. I think another thing that tends to overwhelm people is like all the different options that exist and how to start a budget, mm -hmm. right? So you mentioned you started oh, yeah. off with the zero-based budget approach. That's not what you currently do. So how did you figure out like what was the right tool for you at the time? Yeah, I went through trial and error. And I think that that is what ends up happening for a lot of people. Sometimes you get lucky, you land on the thing that happens to work for you. But I think that if we go in with the expectation that the first budget that we create is going to be the one, you're going to get really frustrated and probably very burnt out with managing your money because chances are it's not going to be. I had tried cash envelope systems, which 
looking back now is so funny because I hate everything about paying in cash. I hate actually managing money. I hate having to go into stores. Most of what I buy is online or pickup or just like swiping a card. But I thought that, oh, to save the most money, I need to physically feel that cash in my hands, which works amazing for some people. For me, it just meant that I was just all over the place with trying to manage cash because it didn't work for me. And I tried a few other systems because like you said, there's just so many options out there. And I allowed myself to try it. And if it didn't work, I moved on to the next one until I found something that did. And even with a zero-based budget, I had, if you go back to like my old videos, I was pro zero-based budget because it's what worked for me. But now, like I said, that's that's not what I use. I use a looser structure to manage my finances because that's what I need in this moment in my life. And giving myself the space to be able to do that was so helpful. Yes, y'all. You are not going to get it right the first time. And so let that shit go because I think this idea of we have to do everything perfect or it's not worth doing very toxic Mm -hmm. mindset, right? I think that's one of many limiting beliefs that we can use as a reason to not show up. What would you say are some other limiting beliefs that you tend to encounter with folks when you're talking about budgeting, like, you know, that they just don't think that they can do it? Why why do you think that is? I'm so glad that you mentioned that limiting belief of thinking that if it's not perfect, then it's not right. Because that is one of the biggest roadblocks that I see from people. Also, just that shame aspect, this aspect around my moral value is based on my net worth, is based on how much debt that I have. That's a very daunting thing to internalize. And of course, if you place your worth on how you are managing your money, it's going to be very difficult to ever start and to allow yourself to make those mistakes and recognize that you're human. And we're all just humans trying to navigate capitalism and figure out what is going to work for us. That is another huge aspect that I see that people come to me of just feeling so guilty over their past mistakes and feeling like their worth is tied to their net worth. And once they're able to work through that, that's where the real change starts. That's such an important message, right? Because I think folks tend to internalize this idea that having debt makes them somehow a bad person, that they're just less than. And how can you ever start doing different if you don't even see your worth in those situations? Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about financial self-care because I do believe that budgeting is a form of financial self-care, right? It's like making decisions that future you is going to be thankful for. So how do you practice financial self-care in your life, you know, with your budget? Oh, I completely agree. I used to view self-care as such a commodified thing, right? Going to get my nails done, my a pedicure, going to get a massage, going on vacations. And those things that bring you joy are important. And of course, everything in life is pretty much tied back to money. So it is tied back to that financial aspect. But that's not all that financial self-care is. And I don't even think it's actually the foundation. I totally agree with you that I think The foundation of financial self-care is your budget, is managing your money in a way that balances current you and future you in whatever that way that looks like, right? What 
financial self-care looks like to me is going to be completely different than what it looks like to you or anyone else, because we're all different. We're all navigating a life completely our own and what matters to us and what we want to prioritize is completely our own. So I think that one of the biggest things that I had found that really helped with that was writing out my, my life goals, but also how that played a role in my financial goals as well. Not just for retirement and not just for tomorrow or today, finding that middle ground and figuring out what I could do with my money that would balance what I wanted now and what I wanted in the future. And that has been the biggest form of self-care that I've ever done for myself. It has taken off so much stress, so much negative self-talk, way more than any vacation could, although it still can include vacations and prioritizing these things now as, as well as prioritizing my saving and my retirement later. Yeah, I love that. It's good to acknowledge that budgeting is not some fixed thing right? Like as you evolve as a person, as your goals change, as you age, as your life becomes different, you're going to prioritize different things. And if we think about budgeting as like aligning your spending with what's important to you, I think it becomes way more like philosophical and just like meaningful because you really start (laughs) understanding like I can move with my money in a way that's going to like create the life that I want. So I completely agree. I think that it's so important that we shift this narrative around what being a good budgeter means and what prioritizing your money looks like away from it needs to be this very structured, rigid thing that is the same throughout your life and move it more toward what is important to me right now. And if that changes, that's totally okay. But at any point in time, my biggest goal is just that how I am spending my money reflects how I want to spend my life. Yes, I love that message. So knowing what you know now, what would you tell your 18-year-old self about money? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) I have a lot of things I would probably say. But I think that the biggest thing is just telling myself that it's okay to mess up. It's okay to not know what you're doing. It's okay if your life doesn't look like it did when you were growing up, if your finances don't look the way that you thought that they were going to, in that you just want to give yourself the space to be human and figure out what is going to work for you. I think if I had gotten the message that not everything needed to be perfect with my finances and that my finances weren't a reflection of the kind of person that I was, it would have been so much easier for me to start breaking down those walls of shame and start talking about money, start being more realistic, start just being able to lean on people about the struggles that I was going through way earlier in life. Yeah, that's such an important message. So let's talk about your money mantra. Do you have anything specifically that you tell yourself or you write down when you're trying to just be in that money mindset? Yes. So actually for me, uh, so much of just everything about finances for me comes back around to that shame and guilt. And I always tell myself whenever I'm starting to get into that mindset of I'm not doing enough oh, like, look at this. Oh, I spent too much on this. This happens to me a lot still. Even as I sit here and talk about 
removing shame from finances, I'm human. And those messages still get sent to us and we're still going to internalize that. So I always tell myself there's no room for shame in your budget. I have room for anything else, anything that brings me joy. I will prioritize. I'll figure it out. But shame has no room in my budget anymore. That is amazing. I love that saying. Thank you so much for sharing. And thank you so much for sharing your story. It is so inspiring. For folks that want to find out more about you, follow your journey, learn about budgeting and and ways that you can align your spending with your values and take the shame and guilt out of money, where's the best place for us to find you? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at the Avocado Toast Budget. Amazing. Do you offer any type of coaching or anything like that that folks can sign up for? I don't currently, but I do have something very exciting in the works that is coming out. So definitely follow me on all of those platforms. That way you can learn whenever it does. Amazing. Thank you so much, Lexa, for just reshaping the conversation around money and helping us realize that you can actually budget avocado toast into your life. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I love it. Thank you so (laughs) much. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on here. It was amazing. Absolutely. Thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.